0: It is a joy to welcome you to First United Methodist Church this morning, and indeed, I thank God that all of you are here. I thank God for the musicians today who are bringing that song into the world. I thank God for our message. I thank God for the music that took place in this room last night, and to tie it in, I thank God for the people who helped me reset the, the chancel last night so that we could have worship this morning. (laughs) I am truly thankful, but I I am also speaking um, sincerely there. We host anywhere between uh, 20 and 30 concerts a year wherein the the chancel of our sanctuary has to be um, repurposed. And so... I am talking to the people in um, the congregation, I've spoken to this congregation behind me about it as well, Um, to to say that if you are interested in being part of a team of volunteers that helps us repurpose um, this chancel on days when we might have a concert, it might include staying after church for an additional 15 minutes. The only real requirement is that you be rather sure-footed um, because there are steps and wires and things up here and, and we, we want people who feel confident um, you know, around, um, around steps and things like that. If you're interested in being a volunteer for me, um, I would certainly appreciate your help and use you as you are able to be used in that, um, in that volunteer role. I also want to call your attention to a couple announcements. Um, First off, we have fair trade items, coffee, chocolate, and tea, and olive oil for sale in the Narthex afterwards. Please make yourself available to the booth. Um, Also, we will be signing up donors for the Blood Mobile that is coming up on the 28th of this month. Barbara Iverson will be in the Narthex signing you up to donate blood and, indeed, give the gift of life uh, to people in this area. I encourage you after the service, if you've not already found one, to be sure that you get a church calendar. I meant to bring one up with me. They will be in the narthex. If you can't find them, I'll be out there and I'll make sure that you leave with a church calendar for the next three months. It has all of our church events, including our concerts. We're very excited about all the ways that we engage the community here at First United Methodist Church. One of those ways um, is through Waves of Grace and Clothes to Kids. And I want to invite um, our representatives from Clothes to Kids to tell us a little story about this important ministry and how we can be a part of it.
1: Good morning. Happy Father's Day again. I'm Chris Haywood.
2: And I'm Wanda Kenny. We're here because next Sunday is Shoe Sunday. Shoe Sunday benefits Close to Kids, which is a nonprofit organization that provides school-appropriate clothing and shoes to the uh, children in need in Haywood County. Close to Kids is a beautiful little boutique shopping uh, experience for our children, where they get to choose clothing that they love so they can attend school in confidence. Chris, Sharon Johnson, and I are the Thursday team that have this privilege of helping the children shop, and it's just the most fun experience. We want to share just a couple of stories of why we think Close to Kids is so important.
1: I have been volunteering at Close to Kids now for about three years and i'm sure that as volunteers there are times we just kind of say to ourselves am i really making a difference at close to kids the difference that we make is felt immediately so about two months ago we had a lady come in and she brought a teenage boy with her and as they're in the shop she proceeds to explain to him that all the work in the shop is done by volunteers and she also said to him that the folks here working with you today are also volunteers. And then she said, and they don't get paid for any of the work that they do. So he kind of looked at her and his response to her was, maybe just making people happy is their pay. So please know that on next Sunday, which is also known as Shoe Sunday, your generosity will go a long way and helping a lot of students in the Haywood County school system feel just a little happier. Thank you.
2: Making the kids happy is important. Making us happy, doing that, is a bonus. But what's really, really, truly important are the life lessons that the children learn. Uh, Last fall, we had a family with teenagers come in, and they had been with us before. And they came back with clothes in hand that they had outgrown to contribute back to clothes to kids. And they pursued to then shop for clothes that fit them for the coming school year. But they had something so exciting to tell us. They had, as a family, Mm pooled enough money together to purchase their own home and they couldn't wait to tell us about it. It was a hands up, and that's what they learn. They learn to give back and to make uh, make use of the resources available to get ahead and accomplish something in their dreams. That's what you do when you contribute shoes to clothes to kids. So I hope that next Sunday you'll bring shoes with you, a pair or two that would be school appropriate, and and when, in doing that, you can pick out any size that you like. You know, we had a teen that was a size 15, so we need all sizes, from little to great big. So come next Sunday with shoes, and you'll be giving kids in Haywood County a hands-up. Thank you so much.
3: Our word this morning comes from Acts chapter 4, beginning with the 32nd verse. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought them the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
4: In my seminary days in Atlanta... The William R. Cannon United Methodist Church hired me to be their part-time youth pastor. And they gave me my very own office. And it was in the basement. uh, Near the fellowship hall in the kitchen, in the corner of the basement was what was surely once a closet that was now my office. It was just large enough for a small desk and a chair. And I was sitting in that chair one Sunday morning. The 8.30 service was just about to begin, and the senior pastor appeared in my doorway, and he wasn't wearing his robe. In fact, he was suspiciously dressed as if he were on his way to the golf course, but he wasn't. He looked horrible. His his eyes were puffy and red, and his nose was was dripping, and he said, I can't preach this morning. I'm sick. You're going to have to cover for me. I've blessed the communion elements, and they're in the kitchen, and with that, he was gone. So I had had 15 minutes to write a sermon and to mentally prepare myself to lead two worship services and about 700 people uh, in Holy Communion. It helped me a great deal, though, to know that this congregation would fully understand my predicament, and that the, the bar would be set really low for me that morning. <laughs> so as we're processing into the sanctuary, I, I uh, told the liturgist, the liturgist who was a, a, a longtime member of the church and also the lay leader, I, I told him what had happened. I told him my story. Um, I got little sympathy from him. He said to me as he slapped me on the shoulder, "'Isn't it great?' That every preacher has a sermon ready in the back pocket. <laughs>
0: and
4: I'm like, "Great. I barely survived." And after it was all over, a member of the congregation approached me in the hallway, and I was puzzled by what she said. She said, "Keith, that had to be the best sermon that I've ever heard." And I immediately searched her eyes for the evidence that she had completely abandoned her commitment to the ninth commandment. (laughs) But her eyes were brimming with tears. She was telling the truth. She thanked me for words that encouraged her and that gave her hope where before there was none. And it became clear to me if to no one else that God had taken those words that I had feebly strung together and did something very powerful and something very special in the life of another person. It's important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember that God does this sort of thing and not just from pulpits. There is an occasion where... Jesus was teaching his disciples. And and maybe there was a a bit of warning to them of, of what was to come, maybe of what was to come after Easter. But he said, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how you are to defend yourselves or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you ought to say. I don't know about you, but that makes me kind of nervous. <laughs> Maybe what, what makes us most anxious about Jesus' invitation, you know, Jesus' invitation to the church is more of a sending. Uh, we've seen in these stories from Acts that what happens after Easter is Jesus sends the church to people, all kinds of people, in all kinds of different places. And, and I think that What makes us most anxious about that invitation, about going to all people, is is not that we're afraid of people who are different from us. We're afraid of having to speak to them. We're afraid of being a witness. What in the world am I going to say? We've got to have something to say. Most experts will tell you that the secret to public speaking is having something to say. I think it's also the secret to private speaking. That's all I did that Sunday morning. I just told my story. I told that congregation something about how Jesus had saved me. How Jesus had come alive in me. How I knew that I was forgiven. That my life had deep meaning and purpose. It was a reason God created me. In our text that Becky read for us, it's one of my my favorite texts in this chronicle that is the book of Acts. It says, with great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Maybe you're, you're like me and um, we're stricken by the generosity that's in this story. I, I don't know. They just held their things lightly. They weren't attached to their stuff. It just seems obvious that they loved people more than they loved their stuff. And I'm sure I've, I've been your pastor for a year. I've been preaching in this pulpit for almost a year. And so I'm sure I've said at least a couple of times, because I feel like I'm saying it all of the time, about this text. Isn't it amazing that Luke writes that there wasn't a needy person among them? Not a needy person among them because of their generosity. Because when someone needed something, someone else gave them that thing that they needed. It's also interesting to me that really, uh, just until preparing for today, I... I didn't realize that it's this text where we're introduced to Barnabas. His real name is is Joseph, but they'd given him the nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and that he was a Levite, a Levite with with property. You know, the, the Levites were the priestly tribe of Israel, of the 12 tribes. The Levites were the ones that did not get an inheritance of land. They were dependent on the 11 other tribes providing for them. And in, in, in each area, they were responsible for, for sacred space. And so they not only uh, were, they weren't given land, but they weren't, it was forbidden for them to inherit the land. And they might have been too poor to, uh, to, to purchase the land anyway. And Barnabas has land. That's kind of an interesting thought to me to have that conversation with him. Like, how did, that, how did that happen? But I'm glad to see that he's not tied to it. He sells the land that he has. And in the same way that the, the Levites were dependent on those around, uh, he gives uh, to those who are dependent around him. It's also a reminder to me that our needs are not just physical needs or material needs. He was a son of encouragement that I have emotional needs and intimacy needs that, that need to be met as well. Scott Taylor, in our staff meeting, as we were talking about this text and about today, he was like, you need to go and listen to Rob Blackburn's sermon. He preaches a sermon about Barnabas. Um, and so I did, and it's, it's great. and it's, it, it's worth your time. If you go to Central United Methodist Church's website um, in Asheville and go to the sermons, find the sermon that... Is titled, Sons and Daughters of Encouragement. You'll be glad that you did. But uh, Rob helped me to see Barnabas in the sermon. Again, in like two stories that I'm very familiar with, Barnabas shows up. You You know, if if you've been in the church for a while, the story of Saul. Saul was really angry with these early followers of Jesus. And so uh, he acted violently against them. Uh, He pursued them. There were threats of murder, and he would drag uh, individuals and families uh, off to prison. And he was getting permission from religious leaders to go everywhere and do that. And so he's on his way to Damascus, and he has an encounter with Jesus. And the risen Lord becomes a part of, of Saul's life, and he's changed. He's not the same. A lot of us share a story like that. So naturally, I think he wants to go and connect with, with the church, with the followers of Jesus. And so you can imagine that when they open the door and there is Saul of Tarsus, they closed the door quite quickly and they were afraid. But along comes Barnabas. Barnabas, this son of encouragement who has this ability to see the possibility in people. And he looks into Saul of Tarsus' eyes and he sees the truth that this man has been transformed in the same way that he had been transformed. And so he introduces Saul, who becomes Paul, uh, to the church. And it says that from that moment on, Paul went in and out, went about freely, proclaiming the power of the risen Lord. And and we know uh, Paul's story. Like half of our New Testament is his letters to these churches that he inspired Brian Zare is a a leadership coach and our um, annual conference um, has um, hired him to work with pastors and I was invited to one of these uh, clergy gatherings uh, on leadership. In this session, he had a a whiteboard behind him and he turned around and he he took a a marker and he just wrote four letters uh, in large uh, capital letters, the letter I, the letter C, the letter N, and letter U. And he turned around and looked at us he said, I think these are the most important letters or among the most important letters uh, for you as leaders. That you're able to see the possibility in people. That you're looking for it. That you can approach someone and say, I see this in you. Because he says, we live in those kinds of things. We have the power with our words to give people hope for the possibilities, but we have to start looking, and then when we see it, uh, we have to say that word. For more than 30 years, uh, Gordon McKinsey worked at Hallmark, and uh, Along with, with challenging corporate normalcy in the, the card company, uh, McKinsey did a, a, a lot of creativity workshops with uh, elementary schools. And so uh, he would uh, go into th- these, these classrooms and, and he would ask the kids this, this question every time. He'd say, how many artists are there in the room? <laughs> the pattern of responses never varied, he said. In the first grade, every hand in the room would shoot up and they would wave like maniacs. The artist was, or the room was was full of artists. In the second grade, it was about half of the class was an enthusiastic hand wave. In the third grade, he'd get maybe 10 out of 30 kids. And by the time he got to the sixth grade, maybe one or two hands would sheepishly, tentatively, self-consciously uh, lift into the air. He said uh, all the, the schools he went to seemed to be involved in the, the suppression of creative genius. And he said that they, they weren't doing it on purpose, uh, but, but society's goal is to, is to make us less foolish. And so he says, from the cradle to the grave, the pressure is on to be normal. And his conclusion is this. It was a time, perhaps, when you were very young, when you had at least a fleeting notion of your own genius, and were just waiting for some authority figure to come along and validate it for you. But none ever came. For Saul and John Mark, Barnabas came. John Mark was with Paul and and, and Barnabas on one of their missionary journeys, and for some reason, uh, he decided to leave. He decided to go home. So later, in Acts chapter 15, uh, you can read the story where Paul says to Barnabas, we need to go back to these churches that that we started, that that we inspired. We need to visit them again, and we need to encourage them. And Barnabas was like, great. Great. John Mark will go with us but Paul remembering that earlier John Mark had abandoned them for some reason and had left the missionary journey to to go home uh, said no, no, no way he deserted us before he won't desert us again and so it says there was this this dispute between Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas (coughs) says seeing the possibility in young John Mark he says to Paul well why don't you go this way And I'll go with John Mark in that direction. There was forgiveness in those words. Barnabas had the right words. I think both John Mark and Paul, they needed a powerful word of pardon. Barnabas was full of grace and was full of truth. Luke also wrote a gospel. He wrote the book of Acts. At the end of his gospel, right before Jesus ascended, among his last words to the disciples, this is what he said. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And we have seen in these weeks that that's what happened. That the power of the Holy Spirit was to speak. To speak words that needed to be heard. I read a a story um, of a a very wealthy man um, who discovered the, the perfect birthday present for his lonely mom. Uh, He read about a bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words. This bird could speak in numerous languages and could sing three operatic arias. And he thought this would be perfect to encourage his mom and just to lift her. So he he immediately bought the bird for $50,000, and he had it delivered to his mother. And so... uh, He called her the next day to see if she had received this bird. He said, Mom, what did you think of the bird? And she replied, it was delicious. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) But the truth is, all of us need someone to speak the right words. All of us need that kind of lift. A good friend of mine from Skyland, Dave Stumped, uh, told me about another bird, the the chaffinch. It's a a European bird, and it's one of the most uh, widespread and abundant birds in England and Ireland. It's about the the size and color of a robin, and its song is beautiful. It's um, a short and simple repetition of notes that ends in a flourish, And the Victorians greatly valued this bird uh, as a a songster, and huge numbers were trapped annually uh, for the cage bird trade so that people could have this bird and listen to the the song in their homes. But Dave told me that the, the chaffinch has another unique characteristic. It can forget how to sing. This bird can forget how to sing. And so it has to be taken back into the woods where the wild birds are in order to be retaught. He said if it if it doesn't learn how to sing again, it becomes depressed and will die. I think maybe we can be like that. We can feel caged. We can forget the sound of God's voice. So we need to go back into the wild. Don't you think that Jesus' invitation to the church is that he was sending them into those wild places? We need to go back into the wild and hear the Holy Spirit's song again. That's my prayer for us. Because God needs us to sing. Amen.